I want to thank the praise team for your music up here. You don't know how much that means to me. Just to be able to sit here in God's house, to be in his presence, and have that music, oh, it just works on my heart. And I thank you, each one of you. We were supposed to have a baby dedication here today, but unfortunately with the weather, with the Wooster family, we will move it to another date. But uh, we all need to be safe. I do want to welcome each one of you. Online church and community, I want to welcome you. In fact, I'm kind of a little envious. Because when I looked out this window this morning, I thought, you know what? This is one of those days you just kind of want to stay home. You get a hot drink. You sit by the fire. And it just doesn't get any better than that. But God said, no, Freddie. Today we got a message to preach. And I thank the Lord for that. Because if the pandemic shuts, cannot shut us down, a little bit of snow is not going to shut us down either. So I'll have to wait to go home to get by my fire. And I'll let the Holy Spirit's fire be the one that comforts each and every one of us here this morning. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. Even in bad weather, snow unexpectedly, your message still needs to go out into this world. We need to hear it. And I believe that he brought people here this morning specifically for what you have to say. So I just thank them that they're here. I thank the community that's online that you are safe and that you're warm and secure. Grab your hot drink and I pray that you'll be blessed as the Lord moves in a mighty way today. And I believe that he will. Amen. I want to show a a quote that is familiar with all. They probably have read it multiple times. When the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, God heard their cries and rescued them. I want that to pour over you. I want you to look at it. What does that say to you? This is a beautiful word picture. It's a beautiful picture that we find here found in Exodus with what is transpiring with all the Israelites in Egypt. Coming out of Egypt, going into the desert, going through the Red Sea. All the hubbub and the activity that's taking place. Sometimes a little picture like this gets overshadowed. It gets lost. Because this is a powerful statement. When the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, ask yourself the question, have you ever been enslaved? Do 
Maybe not in Egypt. But I know I have. I made wrong choices, wrong things on my own life. And I'll tell you, it can enslave you. You are bound to it. But still, when you read what the Israelites had gone through, God heard their cries and rescued them. Let's put this on the shelf and come back to it later. Just a little recap here from last week when Pastor Sergio spoke. He had the joy of taking them all through the Red Sea. And boy, as a child, can you remember that story? You can, and you try to remember, did you walk through and poke your finger in the water? Did you touch the fish? What was it like? I have no idea. But when I get to heaven, I want to ask him. Because to me, that just seems remarkable of what God did. But unfortunately, before they went through the Red Sea, Moses brought him out to the desert after 400 years of slavery. After experiencing that the plagues that happened in Egypt, they were protected. And that God was with them in a pillar of light and a cloud. It was visible. God's presence was there. But still, they said in verses 11 to 12, chapter 14 of Exodus, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Okay, parents, have you ever heard anything like that from your children? Their logic sometimes just doesn't make sense. The Israelites' logic did not make sense because it was so self-centered upon what they want. They couldn't see the bigger picture. They were living in the here and the now. And right now, we're facing a body of water knowing that the Pharaoh and his army is behind them. Lord, what have you done? But we have to ask ourselves the question, how often do we come to a point in our life and maybe even within our own walk with God that we grumble and ask questions to him and say, why? Why is this happening? Why is this going on? Why did you do this to me? As you're going to see through all of this, we and the Israelites hmm, are a lot alike. A lot alike. At the very beginning of the series, the first time that Sergio spoke, he mentioned that there were two things. He said that the story is going to not be like a microwave. It's going to be like a crock pot. A slow cooker. Now let me ask you a question. Would you rather have a meal heated up in a microwave or a meal that's been severed and slow cooking in a crock pot? 
And I don't know about you, but I'll take the crock pot any old day. But the thing is that the food that you point put into that, it's not intentional to feed you now. There's an intent for you to experience the joy of the food when it comes time. And it may be ours. But boy, when they put that, my wife puts it in a bowl. Ha <laughs> ha. I'm in heaven. The story that we find in Exodus is like a slow cooker. But not just the story. Each one of you is a slow cooker. God has a plan for you, and your plan does not consist of living your life in a microwave. You are running a marathon. I just talked to a young gentleman this week. We've got to see the perspective. We are running a marathon. We are a work in progress. Even though life gets difficult and hard, we have to realize I'm still a slow cooker. I could take the lid off, take a spoon and go, not, not done yet. The beans are still a little hard, honey. Not done yet. But guess what? I'm not done yet either. You're not done yet either. You do not critique a painting of an artist while he is painting it. Would you agree? If you want to see someone irate, critique an artist in the middle of his painting. Because you see, he knows what he wants. It ain't finished yet. They build in layers. We are like paintings that are still in progress. But still, the Israelites, all they could see, all they could see was the here and the now. The woe is me. It was far better off back there. You've got to be kidding me. I got two boys. Sometimes their logic when they were younger, you've got to be kidding me. Really? But Moses, I've I got to commend him. His relationship with God and the answer that he gave to them in verses 13 to 14. It's like a, a loving dad. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. In growing up, did you ever hear those words from your parents? Did you feel comforted? Did you feel at peace? Did you feel assured that mom and dad were there? So I had no need to be afraid because they, they're going to take care of it. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see. This is exciting. You will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. And the Egyptians that you see today, you will never see again. They may not have understood that. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Wait a minute, Lord. Is this the counsel that he gives to us today? He will fight our battles. He promises that. And all he asks from me is to be still. 
There's a picture I came across on the screen. You'll see it. It's a young man sitting, contemplating with these words. You don't need to know where you are going if you know God is leading. Do you believe that? But oh, <laughs> you have to relinquish of not taking over the journey. You have to relinquish about saying, Lord, I think we should go this way. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Wasn't that my turn? No. That picture depicts complete trust and faith within our Father that we have to be able to know, to know who is leading and who is directing my life. And when the Israelites, they got through the sea in Exodus 14, 31, it says, and when the Israelites saw that the mighty hand of God displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust. Put their trust in Him and in Moses, His servant. Trust is so important especially in this story. Trust is so important, especially in our story when it comes in a relationship with Christ. I can sit there and say, I love Jesus. I love God. I believe in Him. He's in the Bible. But Fred, do you trust Him? I can't trust anybody until I actually get to know them and experience who they are. That is what God's desire is, not just for the Israelites, but for us today, is to get to know Him, to interact with Him, to experience Him, the highs, the lows, the pains. You can go ahead and be angry, Fred. Shake your fist at me. That's okay. I want it to be real. Because when it becomes real, it's no different than a marriage. I look at my beautiful wife right here and I said, you know what, honey, I love you, I trust you, I believe in you. But we have had our share of arguments. We've had our share of disagreements. And there have been times when I'd walk out of the door and slam it. <laughs> but you know, through it all, we grow closer. Through our ups and downs of relationship with Christ, we grow closer through those real moments. Beginning in verse 5, chapter 15, verse 1, then Moses and Israel sang this song to the Lord. Oh boy, they were happy campers. They just made it through the Red Sea. Turned around and saw all the water come down. Covering the Egyptians, the chariots, not one of them lived. That's a sad picture. But they rejoiced. Starting in chapter 16, it's called the Song of Moses. Some people say this is the oldest documented song ever that Moses wrote. I will share with you only a few of the lyrics because it's 18 verses long. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted, both horse and driver. He has hurled into the sea. Some of these pictures that these lyrics depict, mm, 
The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army. He has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like stone. By the blast of your nostrils, Father, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them. We're watching a Super Bowl take place right here, guys. I will pursue, I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils. I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. That with the picture of Pharaoh and his army. But Lord, you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. I don't know if that's a song that I would sing too often. But for them, it was important to be able to celebrate in some kind of sense that they were victorious. Maybe they looked at themselves as being the one who was victorious and forgot all about what God did. Because you see, they were still hmm, pretty self-centered. Not like any of us today, right? No. As we continue there in Exodus, it says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. And when they came to Merah, they could not drink of the water because you see, can you imagine now? There was an oasis of water that they came upon. They took water with them. But I can only imagine in the desert and the heat, it would evaporate. It could probably, well, I don't know. But just picture yourself if you're part of that group and you are thirsty. And lo and behold, there in the desert is water. Forget about the rest of you folks. Forget about the rest of you. I'm thirsty. So fortunately, they have the desert Dixie Cups out there. I'm not sure who the first person was. Maybe, Jesse, it could have been you. Brian, it could have been you. Hon, you don't run fast enough. I'm sorry, it couldn't be you. <laughs> but whoever it was, they took the water cup, they dipped it in, and they were so... <laughs> Man! <laughs> That's disgusting! Well, wait a minute. Weren't you thirsty? Yeah, they were thirsty, but that's disgusting. It's bitter. It's bitter, Lord. And once again, that attitude pops up within the Scriptures. Verse 24, so the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? 
Come on, Lord. Come on, Moses. What are we to drink? You brought us out here. I'm slobby. And of course, to Moses, I'll tell you, I hand it to that man, the patience that he had. We can learn a lot from him as parents. Then Moses cried out, verse 25, to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. <laughs> Moses, there's a stick. Throw it into the water. And it was perfect for them to drink. Now I ask you, was it the stick who purified the water? No. It was the obedience that Moses did when the Lord told him to throw the stick in the water. Through this whole story, you see the Lord testing Moses. You see the Lord testing the Israelites. And even today, you have to admit it, the Lord will test us. Moses, are you obedient to what I say? If you want those people to drink the water, I'm telling you, throw the stick at Lord. Come on. No, he didn't do it. Fortunately, the Lord talked to Moses. He may have talked to that first guy who ran up here and took the first drink and said, you've got to be kidding me. A stick? But no, he threw it in. And they went over and they drank the purified water. Oh, that squelched them. That gave them a little bit of thank you, Lord. I'm going to share with you that as they left their mare, they had came to Elam where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees. And they camped near the water. Now, I don't know about you. Have you ever read the scriptures and you read something and you just go, I hear my dad's voice. Fred, what does that look like? Over two million people in the desert. And there's how many trees? How many springs? Twelve springs, 17 palm trees, and over two million people. I'm sorry, I can't even picture for my children what that must have looked like. Did they take turns? I don't even know. But I find that things in the Scripture sometimes I don't need to know. I just need to take the picture as simple as I can to say that God allowed them to be refreshed and have that moment together, maybe in the shade of a tree and the pure water that they drank. Because I'll tell you, it's difficult walking through the desert. I'm sure each one of you may have experienced your own desert experience because the desert is not a place that one enjoys. 
The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and went to the desert of Sin. Ah, that's appropriate. Which is between Elam and Sinai. The 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. They have been in the desert for a good period of time. And when they came out of, and they came into the desert, guess what happened? They grumbled again. Verse 2 and 3 out of 16. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Come on. You think that would be a better option? But oh, I'll tell you, they're laying all their cards down, making Moses feel guilty. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all food that we wanted. But you, you, Moses, you brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Guilt. I hope you feel guilty, Moses. You see, the Israelites had an attitude problem. They had an eye problem. Remember when Pastor Sergio gave his message on let it go? And he talked to Pharaoh about, Pharaoh, you need to let it go? Well, guess what? The Israelites needed to let it go. Because when they came out of Egypt... And they came to the Red Sea. They dragged all their junk in the trunk and the things that they held on to. You can't see it, but it's theirs. These are the things that can enslave you. They get out of Egypt, but they still are enslaved. Do you get that? Have you ever felt enslaved by the junk in the trunk? The things that you believe to be true, the things that you are told, the things that you hold on to, the lies, the deception. The enemy feeds this trunk all the time. And I tell you, they just couldn't let it go. I came across in my readings of Morris Vinden something I think that applies to this. Many times I have had a, a, a time when I preached and you would see a balloon with a smile face on it. And I would tell you, all you have to do is let it go. And I would let it go and it would ascend up to God. Well, you know what? That's a nice, warm, pretty picture. But Morris Vinden says, and I really admire this man. I don't have the ability to surrender. On my own, I don't have the ability to let go. 
What I need to do is to ask God, Lord, give me the strength. Help me to be able to let go of what I am holding on to. But because he has given us the ability of freedom of choice and my decision, he does not come down here and pry my hand open. No, that would be forcing me. Nope. He says, Fred, I am going to walk with you. I'm going to journey with you. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to try to influence you with the help of the Holy Spirit to be able for you to see it and understand what the junk in the trunk is doing to you. I want it to be real. I want it to be the moment that when you let go, you understand why. And why is because God walks with me. And I can trust Him. See, we have a tendency here to think that we always can't trust someone else. And we can't trust God. We can't trust our spouse. We can't trust our membership people here. We just can't trust. Well, that's the enemy talking to you. And so there were the Israelites with their problem. And they brought it with them. And I think if we were honest with ourselves, we each have our own junk in the trunk. But when I said that they have an eye problem, it's not these kind of eyes. No. In fact, for those of you who know me and for those of you who have met me, you may walk up to me and look at my face and say, no, you wouldn't say it. You would think it because adults don't say it. Children do. Pastor Fred, what's wrong with your eye? See, my left eye is sleepy. Nothing personal, folks. Forty years ago, I had one of my two cornea transplants, and back then they do it a lot differently, so they have to clamp it open. And in doing so, the process took long, and afterwards, well, guess what? It damaged some of the nerves in my eye. So as time progresses, my eye doesn't want to open up. It's funny, when I talk to adults, I know they see it. He's got a bad eye. Children go right to the core. What's wrong with your eye? But that's okay because guess what? I thank the Lord that I can see you today. Two cornea transplants, otherwise they say I would have been blind. So praise God, I can see you today. I don't care if my eyes are cross-eyed. I could see you today. Ooh, there'd be more people. Okay. Keeney, double the amount. <laughs> but that is not the eye problem that they're talking about. The eye problem that they have is this, the big eye. Have you ever come across somebody and you ask them to do something and they say, well, I got a better idea. Come on, parents, <laughs> people you work with, would you like to, well, I think my idea is better. A lot of people 
have good opinions, but they're really opinions. But the thing is, it's hard to get on the same people, on the same page if you're not willing to relinquish the eye. I love my youngest son. I would tell him to do something, but a lot of times it would come back to me as far as I had a better idea, Dad. Eh, you may think so. But the thing is, the eye, the eye got into the way. The eye was the problem of Lucifer at the very beginning of time. I want to be like God. I want to be like the Most High. I want people to worship me. I, 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 I. Well, I'm sorry. The eye has carried through 6,000 years. It's still here. The Israelites had problem with it, and we have problem with it today. The eye is what's keeping you from releasing what the junk in the trunk is. The eye are the things that make us enslaved to whatever it is within this world that we don't have that freedom. We are bound by sin. And it all generates to, ah, I have a better idea. I want it. We need to learn to trust God. Verse 4 and 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, okay, I hear them all. I hear them. Boy, they're grumbling. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day, gather enough for that day. For that day, in this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. Parents, this is one of the best counsels that you could have. God tests his children. We are to test our children. We are to be there because the instructions that we give to them is for their benefit. You're all familiar with the story. They were hungry. And God brought the bread, the white manna from the sky, and they were to go out and gather it only on one day, only enough for that one day. But then on Friday before the Sabbath, they could gather two amounts. Because see, back then, an omer was the amount that they could gather. An omer was about this size here. They say it was about Two quarts worth. Jesse, is that enough of a meal for you to eat all day? But see, they would take it, they would cook it, they would fry it, they would make it into pancakes, they would make it into things. They found ways to make this manna delightful. In fact, it is pretty honey tasting. It's sweet. Very good. I don't think I would like to have a steady diet of it, though. But God provided. But of course, just like the eye problem, someone comes along and says, well, wait a minute. What if he doesn't provide for tomorrow? Or the next day? I need to... I need to bundle up here and, and take a whole bunch of this stuff because God just might not be honest and truthful. Have you come across people like that? 
just in case what is told to me doesn't work out, I need to protect myself. I need to be greedy and take more than I was told to take. That's directed by the eye. But God just kind of smiles. Go ahead. Because when you wake up that next morning to go out there and partake in all that manna that you took, <laughs> maggots. did not smell good at all. See, the Lord taught them a lesson. They needed to understand that God is trustworthy, that God is one that what He says is for our benefit. And I tell you, we are no different than the Israelites. We still wrestle with taking what he says and direction that he gives to me and say, Lord, I trust you. I can sit on the cliff and look out and say, I may not know where I'm going, but I know the one who is leading me. I trust you. As we land this thing, I want you to listen to the last few scripture texts and hear for the word no, K-N-O-W, no. Because see, no is a very powerful world. It ranks up there in love, trust, belief. And sometimes I think no is so important that without it we have difficulties when it comes to belief and trust. Verses 6 to 8 in Exodus 16 so Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites in the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you the meat to eat in the evening and all the bread that you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? He's kind of getting to the point, look, it's just me and Aaron. You're, you're, you're yelling at the messengers. We're just the messengers. He was kind of getting impatient, but still... You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. They needed to see the perspective. Verses 9, or verses, let's see, 11 to 12. The Lord said to Moses, the Lord speaking, the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Capture this line then you will know that I am the Lord your God. He's just not talking to them and say, I want you to know. He's expressing himself in a way that they can tangibly experience it. By the meat, by the bread, by the food, by the shelter, by the water. He provides that for them for their benefit. We're no different. God wants us to know Him. He's in the knowing business. He's in the personal business. 
He loves each one of us so much that yes, he gave his son, but he persists after us and he doesn't want us to be lost. But in order for that to happen, he says we must know him. Last week, Pastor Sergio shared a text in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 from the Message Bible, which I think is worth repeating because it's a text that talks about, well, let's read it. No test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. Just pause right there. You're not the only one. This isn't something that only you are experiencing. The Bible is full of stories that give you assurance of knowing that when these tests arise and they happen, God follows through and helps them. He rescues them. He does not abandon them. God is with them. All you need to remember, here's the one, remember, is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. You know what? This qualifies for being posted on the mirror. Anything important to me gets posted on the bathroom mirror because I want to see it every day. This is a truth that God is speaking to us, that he was speaking to the Israelites, that he is speaking to each one of his children. I am there for you. But yet, they were fearful. They didn't know where they were going. And we sometimes run into that same problem. Do you ever get fearful of not knowing what lies ahead? Last year, 2020, oh boy. It rocked the boat for all of us. We didn't know what to expect. We still got a lot of questions of what's going to happen. And I think that the devil has his hand in it because he wants to take our attention off of what the Lord's going to do and try to put it into our laps as if we're the ones that are accountable for what takes place. Wrong, wrong, wrong. I need to trust God. I need to know Him. He's in charge. I don't need to fear. But the, mess, but the best medicine for us to be able to look at is found in a quote by Ellen White that I think that is so clear. We have nothing to fear for the future except as we shall forget the way the Lord has led us and His teachings in our past history. You want to get a boost of energy? You want to be able to get a boost of knowing that God is still with you? Remember what He has done for you in the past. God is the same here, here, and here. He doesn't change. If he has been with you, I can look at my life and say, Lord, I have so much to be thankful for, for what you have done for me in all the years leading up to now. 
I know that what lies ahead is going to be a journey of joy because I trust you and know that whatever happens, you're in charge. It may not look like a pleasant journey. Talked with a young man this week who has cancer. And it's hard to sit there and say, Lord, thank you for the time that I'm living in and give him the joy and the praise of knowing I have faith in you that you'll provide. The enemy's constantly trying to focus you on the things that God is not part of. So the greatest thing that we can do to counter fear is to look back on the past. That's why the rearview mirrors are there. We need to see the rearview mirror of what we just experienced. Remember, I told you I'm going to put that text back up from how we started at the very beginning. When the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, God heard their cries and rescued them. Folks, God's still in the rescuing business. And you are no different than the children of Israel back at that time of history. He loves all of us, all of them as his children. Our cries do not have to be something that is poetic, that is something that has to be approved by whomever. All our cries have to do is to say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Lord, help me. Help me with this. I need you. I need you.